Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I started having this massive headache and which I later found out it was called a thunderclap headache and I just remember grabbing my forehead and being like oh my god what's happening going to get out of my bed because I then all of a sudden felt really sick so I sort of leaned over my bed to grab my bin but in like the space of a few seconds the mobility in my left side had gone and I was so confused as to what was happening so I went to get out of bed and actually fell out of bed whacked my head on my stone fireplace all at the same time and was just violently being sick for what felt like forever and my boyfriend instantly knew that something wasn't right we'd been drinking a little bit in the day so when my mum came rushing in she was like oh maybe she's just a bit drunk or you know but I was I was basically sober before we went to bed after running loads of tests and things they decided that it was best if I went to St George's Hospital in London which is known for its neurology department so I was about 24 hours later taken there and yeah and then that's where I then had further tests I had an angiogram which they insert a dye into your blood vessels so that they show up on the x-ray and that's when it became clear that the cause of the bleed because I had a a stroke due to a ruptured AVM. I ended up having to have brain surgery. They were sort of toying between a few different options, but it was decided that craniotomy would be the best and you know most effective way of moving forward from, from this stroke. And also, because of the AVM, because it was still there, there was a risk that it could re-bleed in the future. So it was quite crucial to get that out. I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. An arteriovenous malformation, known as an AVM, is a tangle of blood vessels in the brain which occur in less than 1% of the population and are more common among men than women. AVMs, though, can rupture, which could lead to a serious bleed on the brain, causing a stroke. In this episode, we hear from Georgie Henner from Reading who suffered a stroke at the age of 22. I was working for a luxury travel company in London. I graduated a year prior. I was just living the life of a 22-year-old, really, you know, enjoyed socialising, exercise. I was super into my sport and fitness, and I have been all my life. And yeah, I was just confident, super active. And to be honest, I had a pretty you know, sort of normal life with no problems up until it all happened. So I kind of felt a bit indestructible, really. And, and you know, when you feel like nothing ever bad is going to happen to you, that's sort of what I'd felt like up until it all happened. It was actually, unfortunately, on my sister's 20th birthday. It was during lockdown. So we it was just my family and I and we 
were celebrating her birthday, having so much fun. It was super sunny, so we were outside in the garden, drank a little bit, but we were just, you know, playing games and just having a good time. Also, just a bit of context, leading up to the stroke, I had absolutely no symptoms, no health conditions, no warning. It was all just completely out of the blue. And anyway, it was about 10pm and we went to bed and my boyfriend was staying around and thank God he was there because it was just as we were about to go to sleep. I started having this massive headache and which I later found out it was called a thunderclap headache. And I just remember grabbing my forehead and being like, oh my God, what's happening? going to get out of my bed because I then all of a sudden felt really sick so I sort of leaned over my bed to grab my bin but in like the space of a few seconds the mobility in my left side had gone and I was so confused as to what was happening so I went to get out of bed and actually fell out of bed whacked my head on my stone fireplace all at the same time and was just violently being sick for what felt like forever and my boyfriend instantly knew that something wasn't right we'd been drinking a little bit in the day so when my mum came rushing in she was like oh maybe she's just a bit drunk or you know but I was I was basically sober before we went to bed and my boyfriend was like no I know what she's like when she's had a few drinks she's definitely not drunk so he actually rang the ambulance and it was all just crazy but I was so confused as to what was going on and the ambulance arrived in about 20 minutes which was very fortunate and then I was yeah taken to hospital. When I was in the ambulance I remember them talking about the fact that it probably was a bleed on the brain because I they were doing all the, te- the typical neurological tests, you know, like, can you lift your arm up? Those kind of things. And I couldn't. And so, yeah, it was very scary. But my nanny had had a bleed on the brain probably about what well, was when I was really young, about 17 years ago. And I hadn't really heard those words since. And I think, although it was all quite scary, I felt like instantly safe because she made it through and she'd recently passed away as well. So it was a really weird feeling. I was sort of in the ambulance and a mixture of feeling like terrified, but also quite peaceful and quite calm that everything was going to be okay. Yeah, so got to A&E. My mum and dad managed to sneak their way in, I think, because it was all like very dramatic and serious. And then basically, long story kind of short, after running loads of tests and things, they decided that it was best if I went to St George's Hospital in London, which is known for its neurology department. So I was about 24 hours later taken there and yeah and then that's where I then had further tests I had an angiogram which they insert a dye into your blood vessels so that they show up on the x-ray and that's when it became clear that the cause of the bleed because I had a a stroke due to a ruptured AVM, a cluster of tangled blood vessels where the blood pressure had built up they they burst and it was quite a big bleed and it affected the left side of my body, so it was on the right side of my brain. Georgie spent 16 weeks in hospital. I ended up having to have brain surgery. They were sort of toying between a few different options, but it was decided that craniotomy would be the best and, you know, most effective way of moving forward from from this stroke. And also, because of the AVM, because it was still there, there was a risk that it could re-bleed in the future. So it was quite crucial to get that out. I'd never had an operation before. And so to have, you know, your first operation 
on your brain, you know, and they obviously list all of the risks and, and everything that come with brain surgery. And there was risk of where the AVM was. It was next to the part of your brain that like controls your vision and your speech as well. And so there was a risk that, you know, like if slight miss of the hand and slight imperfection with controlling the operation that it could have caused further damage and disability. So it was all very scary, but Thankfully, the operation went so well. It was about seven hours. And a few days after my operation, I actually slowly started to regain some sensation. And leading up to the operation, my neurologist had said, you know, he was a bit concerned because he'd he'd have thought that with the swelling going down after the bleed, that I might have regained some movement before the operation. And so, you know, I'd been told many times that it might be unlikely that I would walk again, let alone gain movement in my arm, because I heard many times that your hand can be, because it's so complex, that can sometimes be the hardest thing to come back and all these worrying things. But I just remember just trying to really just be present. And, you know, I connected with lots of different patients in hospital, all the nurses, and really just tried to make the most of who I had around me because I wasn't allowed any visitors. And, you know, I was on FaceTime all the time to my family. It was super scary. But I also weirdly felt, I don't know, there was just a gut feeling inside of me that whatever was going to happen, things were going to be all right. I didn't know what that looked like. You know, I kept reminding myself of stories that I'd heard you know you always hear of like miracle stories where someone's told they're not going to walk again and and they do and so I was kind of holding on to things like that and just thinking like right I'm too young to let this affect my life forever I need to just you know do whatever I can to to pull through. And Georgie spent a further nine weeks at the Wolfson Rehab Centre in Roehampton. I felt so blessed to have landed myself there because it was toying up between a couple of options and a lot of the physios in St George's were saying, oh, the Wolf's like, you know, hopefully you'll get to go to the Wolfson. And so I had quite high expectations and um, it was just amazing. The programme that they've got going on there it took a few days to get settled in and things, but I had physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and I saw a psychologist as well. Because of the type of stroke I had, I didn't need speech and language therapy. And basically, they've just got this really cool system. It's kind of like being, I, I'm someone who loves routine, so I loved it. But they, they give you a timetable at the start of each week, and your days are split up between the different sort of types of therapy that you're having and then there are blocks of sort of free time in between that as well and they've got a gym there which is sort of like this big hall where they've got lots of different sort of stations where all the different physios work with their patients they've got amazing equipment so they've got like a treadmill but they've also got just so many amazing tools and gadgets to help with recovery and yeah it's it's amazing really and then on the weekends you don't have any physio or of any type of therapy but you do have access to certain parts of the sort of gym and things if you want to go in your spare time to put in some extra hours and work so the physios were amazing and to be honest like played a massive part in my optimism and hope for my recovery to be honest because they just made me they just made me believe in myself so much and you know any small improvement you know they celebrated it as if it was something massive which I think on this whole journey of recovery it's taught me to just really celebrate the small wins because that's what keeps keeps the momentum going 
got really close with some of the physios, built some really strong relationships and just got really stuck into it, to be honest. And I mean, because I am someone who's always been interested in sport and the body and health, I am... really loved learning about the whole physio side of things anyway and how the brain works and you know I was very involved with like exactly what was going on and just trying to learn as much as possible really to use that to my advantage so that was that was it and I was in the same room for my whole time there with three other lovely ladies and we just built such strong relationships and you know we really did go through it all together we laughed we cried we spent nine weeks together and probably know them more than I'll ever know a lot of people just because of the experience we shared it was very tough coming to terms with the fact that your body's changed and you know you've got to put in this work to sort of make it better but I think that is something that was already quite instilled in me as a person anyway. I'm very driven, I'm very determined and motivated. And so having that routine sort of structure and the support within the Wolfson really just, yeah, elevated my chance of recovery. It was a great place. Coming up on Stroke Stories, Georgie on continuing to work hard on her recovery. I knew that I didn't want to settle for where I was at at the time. I knew that I had more potential. So I was fortunate enough to invest in some private physio. And my physio is called Jenny. I still see her now, not as regularly, but I still see her. And, you know, I think one thing I came to terms with quite quickly was how important it was to have such a strong support network around me. And sharing her experience. What I've actually found as well is that even though I didn't really know many people that had been through a stroke um, or a major health condition, I found that connecting with with friends who, say, have lost a loved one or, you know, been through something else traumatic, although the, the situation might be different, there are actually a lot of things that I have been able to relate to with them. And that's been really important as well in just helping me not feel isolated, which then ultimately, you know, keeps me feeling positive and motivated to to keep moving on. Let's hear how Georgie managed her return home. The build-up to returning home was obviously everything that you want when you're in hospital for that long. But then about when it was actually confirmed the date that I was coming home, that's when reality started to kind of kick in with what had happened. Because, you know, in hospital, you're, you're around, you're surrounded by... Lots of other patients who are going through similar things, even if it's different conditions, like neurological conditions. And obviously hospitals are made to be very accessible and simple and easy for patients to use. And so you're sort of sheltered and kind of cushioned in this hospital environment and got constant support and feedback and yeah, cheerleading from all the staff there. And so when I knew that I was coming home, that's when reality started to kick in. And I was, you know, starting to worry about how my life was going to now look on the outside. I'm not going to lie, it was it was really tough. You know, in hospital, I managed to really maintain this, I think it was more survival mode, but this positive mindset and determination and focus because you know, in hospital, my only focus was my recovery. All my other worries and stuff from back home didn't matter because, you know, you're just thinking about your health. And then coming back home and adapting to the same home that I was living in before, but in this new 
body I kind of felt like that's how I kept describing it at the start I kept referring to my old body and my new body and it was tough because you're surrounded by your family and your friends who are all you know living their lives how they were and it just starts to kick in that things are different and you know I think the biggest thing for me was that lack of independence. I mean, I'm, I was way more independent than I ever thought I would be, you know, when I was back in sort of when I was having brain surgery and my movement was slowly, slowly coming back and I was getting, uh, being told that I might not walk again and I might not move my left arm properly again and things like that, you know, to where I was when I left rehab, which was, I was walking with a stick, I have foot drop and muscle spasticity down my left side. And so it gets very stiff and it's not 100%. But, you know, I was feeling grateful to have left hospital walking. The spasticity that is my biggest symptom that I have now in my stroke recovery, that's something that is the most affected by where I am, how I'm feeling, who I'm with, the temperature of the room. Like if it's really cold, then I get super stiff. If I'm a bit nervous or any sort of feeling I get, is heightened through my left side. So adapting to that and trying to manage that was something that was quite difficult and alarming. But I straight away got in touch with private neurophysio because the NHS is amazing and they are like, I've got, I've not got a bad word to say about the healthcare system here in the UK. But unfortunately, there's only a set amount of outpatient physio clinics that they they can see per patient so I knew that I didn't want to settle for where I was at at the time I knew that I had more potential so I was fortunate enough to invest in some private physio and my physio is called Jenny I still see her now not as regularly but I still see her and you know I think one thing I came to terms with quite quickly was how important it was to have such a strong support network around me. You know, I was also seeing a counsellor just to sort of help process what was going on and dealing with the trauma side of things. And yeah, my friends and family um, and my boyfriend and my work as well, who I was working for before, they were just amazing. I just felt so supported and and you know, despite it being super difficult and, you know, a massive part of me. I felt very disconnected from my old self. I felt like I'd kind of lost my identity and that was probably the most challenging side of all of it. But with the support around me, I feel very grateful. And yeah, I feel like that's sort of been the biggest, the biggest and most important thing with coming home from hospital. And here is George's advice to stroke survivors. Advice that I would give to a stroke survivor is go easy on yourself because I'm one who... I do put a lot of pressure on myself and which has sometimes done more harm than good, but also trust the process, lean on those that you can, you know, your support network, your loved ones, physio, if you've got one and talk about how you're feeling, because what I've actually found as well is that even though I didn't really know many people that had been through a stroke, um, or a major health condition, I found that connecting with, with friends who say have, lost a loved one or you know been through something else traumatic although the the situation might be different there are actually a lot of things that I have been able to relate to with them and that's been really important as well and just helping me not feel isolated which then ultimately you know keeps me feeling positive and motivated to to keep moving on but I'd say the biggest sort of piece of advice would be connecting to why you're like in terms of recovery 
connecting to why you're doing it because if you can tune into why you're doing it which for me I'm doing it for myself I'm doing it you know so I can live a life that I want to live reminding myself of that is what keeps me going sometimes we can slip into doing things for the expectation of others whether it be physios or doctors or family or or friends and that I think when you realize you're doing things for someone else and not yourself and that's where it can be harder to sort of sustain things so yeah just keep reminding yourself of, of why you're why you are where you are and my advice for loved ones is to just Provide a safe space for the person who's had a, who's going through or had a stroke. Provide a safe space for them so that they can openly talk about what they're feeling, to listen and to just be there really. And I think now I think about like my friends and family, one thing that has sort of come to light that I've thought about a lot recently is although I'm the one who has been through the stroke and going through the recovery, the focus is always on me. And I sometimes worry about my friends and family or my close circle and, you know, worry if they've had enough support themselves and if they've spoken enough about the experience and the effect it's had on them. Because I think I think that can sometimes get overlooked. So if you are a loved one of um, a stroke survivor, make sure that you are also talking to your friends and, and family or counsellor or whoever it is about how how you're feeling too, because I think that's something that is super important. Georgie suffered a serious stroke that required months in hospital and in a rehabilitation centre. But thanks to a strict therapy regime, as well as the continuing support of family and friends, she's made a very strong recovery. Thanks a lot for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do recommend our podcast to people you think it would help. And if you subscribe on your preferred provider... It'll help us spread the word. And if you are, or you know a stroke survivor, and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via Twitter or Instagram, where our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.